Good morning, everyone. I love that sound, that sound of conversation. Isn't it great to be part of a community? Community means that we commune with each other, we connect with each other, and that's what I hear in your conversation. So thanks for doing that. Even in a few short minutes, you can say something that makes all the difference for someone today, or maybe somebody did that for you, and that's a pretty special thing. That's the thing about being part of a community of faith where God's at the center of it. So, so glad you're here today. And before we talk today about week two of Advent, I just want to pause and just celebrate the incredible community of Evergreen and your generosity with your time, your talents, and your treasure. Because of your giving, because of your giving of your time to volunteer and put together all kinds of things this past six weeks, I feel like, like you guys are Olympians and you're gold medalists at doing this. I mean, we have a gold medal volunteer team here, literally 110 volunteers last night alone. But you know, yeah, that was awesome. And there were many volunteers that served behind the scenes that weren't able to do the physical strenuousness of the night itself. And and for that, we're grateful. But you know, for the last six weeks, you have been giving and giving and giving. You um, brought meals. You brought the food for Thanksgiving meals for 400 and some people. That was awesome. And then you brought your gift bags for precariously um, housed students. That's awesome. And then... You came last night and served your hearts out um, for the Orenco tree lighting. You served a whole bunch of people that are coming from all different places in life. And I'm so proud of the way you loved, the way you loved people, the way you loved families, the way you loved kids. And you know, it was just a completely selfless thing. So I, I thank you. And I just hope you know, you need to bask in the moment of it instead of thinking about how could we do better next year, which is where my mind goes. Um, and I don't mean about volunteers, but the event. I, I just feel like God's saying, let's enjoy this moment because this is the thing I see about Evergreen Community. You express the generosity of God and the love of God so well. Thank you so much for these last six weeks of really going above and beyond. We appreciate it. Yeah, give it to you. So that said, we're all full of energy, vim, and vigor this morning, right? Yeah. Well, this is week two of Advent, and we're celebrating the peace that Jesus' arrival brought to planet Earth. Maybe a little bit different peace than you were thinking, though. Because here's the deal. Let's be real today, okay? Not just for a few minutes, but our whole talk together. Peace is not a quality that's often associated with the birth of anything, okay? Including babies. Now, I remember the night well that I gave birth to my daughter, Hillary, at Lebanon Community Hospital, which is a small community hospital. There were nine babies born that night. Okay, so there was no room in the inn when I arrived there at about three, two in the morning, excuse me, about two in the morning to have her. So they wheeled me into a defunct, mothballed, old-fashioned delivery room. Now, as they were wheeling me, I was hearing this, the noises that were emanating from the rooms that I was being wheeled by on the way to the defunct, mothballed delivery room, right? And there were screams, There were a lot of screams because these were women in the throes of delivering those beautiful 14-inch heads through a hole 
that is not, well, let's just say it's not that big, okay? And one mom's baby was so large that the clavicle, the collarbone broke, delivering the child. She was in the room next to me. I found out her story. You can tell it made a deep impression on me. I remember it to this day because I could hear her through the walls, and I'd never heard anybody scream like that. Does this really make you think of peace? You know, not me. Now, some of you may have given thought to the elements of Jesus' story that surround both his arrival and the peace that's associated with him. Maybe you've found, maybe you followed his life through the Gospels, and like me, find that peace is not the first word that comes to mind when you follow his life through the Gospels. Um, Let's just take the story of Jesus' birth and, and think about peace. You know, there was plenty going on. There is a teenage mom, and she has to get on a donkey late term in the pregnancy and make a trip. Okay, anybody out there relate to riding a donkey late-term pregnancy? I mean, it's a surprise that she didn't have the baby on the donkey, right? It shakes it out of you. But that's, that's just some of the things. Okay, but it's not just that. Because when they arrive at the place they were taking the trip to, it had no hotel rooms. In addition to that, there was a king in power at that time who had a death wish for this baby that was about to be born a jealous king. And the list could really go on if we wanted to get into the details. You know, we often think of peace as freedom from conflict. But Jesus' very arrival sparked conflict and controversy. You see, he was born a mamzer. That's a Hebrew word for a baby born by two people who aren't married or out of an adulterous relationship. Take your pick. Either way, our English term for that would be bastard. Not a fun thing. Now, his birth also sparked a lot of fear in the Roman-appointed leader, Herod. And Herod was so afraid of the threat to his power that he ordered all the babies in Bethlehem and its surrounds, its vicinity, to be killed. Does that sound like peace to you? Well, it sure doesn't to me. What kind of peace are we talking about today? When we talk about celebrating the advent of Jesus' arrival and the peace that he brought, what kind of peace are we talking about? And what does that mean for our lives in 2016? This week, the second week of Advent, we are celebrating that Jesus gave us peace with God and he gives us the peace of God, whatever our circumstances That's our big idea today, is that Jesus gave us peace with God, and Jesus gives us, present tense, moving into the future, the peace of God, whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. And this peace is a peace that affects every part of us. Whatever your story today, this has been my prayer all week, that you would leave here today with more peace in your life than you ever imagined possible. Let's read a birth announcement written, believe it or not, hundreds of years before Jesus actually was born. This is some kind of birth announcement. And in fact, it's a birth announcement that tells us not only that he was going to be born, but who he is and what his impact would be. Let's read from Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. It says this, For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, 
prince of peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Wow. Okay, if you're a parent and you've sent out those cute little birth announcements, be it online or hard copy, I bet yours didn't read that way. How many of you parents wish that kids came with a little tag like that, right? That says what they're going to do and the difference they're going to make. And it would really help you through those teenage years too, by the way. But in this passage, we want to focus on just that last title that was given to Jesus in this announcement of who he is. He's the Prince of Peace, a peace that Isaiah said is not going to have any end. It's eternal and everlasting, the best kind. Shalom is the Hebrew word for peace, and it's used throughout the Old Testament. It's more than a calm feeling, though. Isn't that what we tend to associate with peace? That it's just that, a calm feeling? But shalom means well-being in all respects. It's a well-being spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally. Shalom means wholeness in all the aspects of our lives. So I like the message paraphrase for this title in the same passage here. It translates it, Prince of Wholeness. And that's a really wonderful description of it. That's shalom. So shalom is also a common greeting amongst Jews. It was a common greeting, and it still is today. So when one Jew greets another Jew with shalom, it doesn't mean have a nice day. You know, cool, hope you're having a good one. It's not that. It means may you have everything you need for your well-being today. May you have everything you need for wholeness today. And I'm thinking we need to start a whole nother wave, a trend of shalom to each other. Understanding that what we're hoping for people for that day. Yes, and when I say that to you at the beginning of your workday, shalom. May you have everything you need for wholeness. Does that make a di- difference in your day? In your day before you go to school? Shalom. May you have everything you need for your well-being That's an awesome greeting. So shalom then is more than just a freedom from conflict or a serene feeling that we might feel. As great as those might be, and it's inclusive of those, it's more than that. It's this wholeness, completeness that positively affects every area of our lives, spirit, soul, and body. And Jesus' title, Prince of Peace, we got to deal with that little prince piece, says to us that the one in charge of all shalom is coming to planet Earth and has come to planet Earth. And he is the authority on wholeness and well-being. It all resides with him. So if you and I want wholeness, if we want shalom, if we want well-being in our lives, then we must come to him because he is the ultimate authority. He's the one who can give it. Jesus gave us peace with God and he gives us the peace of God. Let's unpack those two statements for just a moment and then think about our lives. Jesus has made peace with God available to every single one of us. You see, all of us had a problem with God. Whether we knew it or not, we were enemies of God. Now, there's basically two ways that you can make an enemy, right? You can do something horrible, no good, and very bad to someone else, and they decide you are their enemy. Or secondly... You can do something horrible, no good, and very bad to someone else. 
and the shame and guilt that you feel from having treated them or done something so terrible to them makes you, you make an enemy out of them. It causes you to distance yourself from them. It causes you to begin to resent them. It causes you to avoid them because of the shame and the guilt that you're feeling or that we're feeling. So which kind are we in being enemies with God? Let's read Colossians, the first chapter, verses 19 through 23 and find out. It says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, that is Jesus And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. So which kind of enemy are we? The first one or the second one? We're the second one, aren't we? We're the ones who did horrible, no good, very bad things that were offensive to God because of his holiness. We just couldn't measure up. And because of our guilt and shame, we make him our enemy. We resist him. We say no to him. We try to ignore him. We try to keep our backs turned to him. It's really well illustrated in a story that was shared in Christianity Today. It's called The God Distortion, the article is, and it's about a Christian songwriter named Carolyn Arends. And she shares a story that she experienced with a friend that's like us and what we do with God. So I want to share it. She um, found a brand new laptop on eBay And it was a really good deal. So she shared it with her friend and her musical colleague, Spencer. And she said it was a bargain of a find. And he was pretty worried, though. He said, usually when something's too good to be true, it isn't right. So she replied to that. I know I replied impatiently, but the seller has a 100% approval rating. Her friend Spencer said, be careful, Of course, I assured him. She said, slightly annoyed. I wasn't born yesterday. Well, she sent her $1,300 to the seller, and in very short, sickening order, she discovered that she had become a part of a very classic scam where a fraudster hacks into somebody's eBay account pretending to be them in order to relieve people like her and Easy Mark of their money. And that is what happened. But here was her response. I felt like an absolute fool, and I didn't know what to tell Spencer. The next time I saw his number on my caller ID, I avoided it. I wouldn't answer. I could just imagine his, I told you so. Soon, I was avoiding Spencer completely, and I started to resent him. Why did he have to be so judgmental? Why couldn't he be on my side? Why did he have to act like such a jerk anyway? You see the progression here? Eventually, though, they had to fly to perform at a concert together. Did I mention a Christian concert? Isn't that a great way to start? Well, about halfway into the flight, Spencer turns to her and says, whatever happened with that computer thing? And she responds. She said, cornered, I finally confessed my foolishness, dreading the inevitable response. But as soon as I told him what I'd done, Something amazing happened. A strange thing, actually. 
The enemy I had turned him into evaporated, and Spencer became Spencer again. My buddy, my teasing friend, who was entirely empathetic. As embarrassed as I was about my eBay error, she wrote, I even felt dumber about the way I allowed my shame over this, distort, over this um, incident to distort my perception of my friend. If my hand had not been forced, she wrote, I would have been estranged from him indefinitely. Here's the deal. Just like Carolyn's shame caused her to make an enemy out of a friend, our shame and guilt distort our perception of God. And he becomes an enemy in our mind when honestly he is there saying, I love you. I'm here. I forgive you. Once and for all, you don't have to live with that shame and guilt. And we avoid him and we resent him. And sometimes we take it further and rebel against all of his authority in our lives, resisting him. And where does the solution for this enemy relationship with God, this separation that's happened with God come from? From God himself. This is the cool thing about it. I think it is anyway. Who started the fight? We did. Who brought the solution? God did. So even though we started the fight, God's ready, waiting, willing, and has a solution. Notice what Isaiah says in another little talk about what Jesus would do for us hundreds of years before he came in Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6. Here's what he said. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we were healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Our sin separated us from God, made us enemies with God from the life that he has for each one of us. And Jesus took our sins to the cross and died in our place and made a way for us to be reconciled to God, to have peace with God for eternity. So Jesus, the Prince of Priests, brings his shalom, our wholeness, our well-being. It absolutely depends on being at peace with God. Until you and I settle the sin problem, the guilt and shame that every one of us carries at one time or another, there can be no peace and there can be no real wholeness in our lives. So what do we need to do to experience peace with God? Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. We acknowledge what Jesus has done for us, and we receive it. It's as simple as a gift that's being extended to us at Christmas. I don't know how you do your gift handout, but we hand it out one person at a time and enjoy what that person opened. But it never gets opened if they don't take it. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's extended it all to us, and we get to choose, do I want to be at peace with God? And we say yes to what he did. And when we do that, the Prince of Peace comes inside of us by his Spirit, and his Spirit lives with us, and he makes us at peace with God. There is no more guilt or condemnation. And I love that verse in Romans 8, 1, where it says, there's therefore now no condemnation for him who is in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. So I had the opportunity to attend a second birthday party for one of the guys here at Evergreen. His name's Stephen, and he's part of our community. 
It was an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting at another place in town where his second sobriety birthday was being celebrated, and he had invited me to the party. And Stephen shared his story with the whole group. How did he start this peace journey? When he realized that he could not achieve wholeness on his own. That was the beginning of peace with God. When he realized that he could not achieve wholeness or well-being on his own. He tried a lot of things, like many of us have. But he realized that. And he realized that God was not the enemy. He was not pointing a finger of condemnation for his addiction. He was there ready to help him with love and acceptance and forgiveness and all kinds of help and support from the community around him. And here's the cool thing. When Stephen stopped, then they used to have a cake for you and they sang happy birthday to him. A really cool thing. Then each of the people at the meeting, which there were quite a few, shared about Stephen's life and what they had observed about his life. But as they did that, each one started by identifying with his pain and with his suffering and with his addiction. And then they stated the same thing. We could not achieve wholeness on our own. We needed God. They said that in their own words. And this is that story that has to come out. They could not have gotten the peace of God or peace with God without that wholeness that comes from opening up to him. You see, the God distortion in Stephen's life was broken when he gave up to Jesus. And it was broken in their lives. And maybe today there's somebody here who's, um, you've got some God distortion that's happened because of your sin and guilt. Your shame that's been driving you away from God. And you can stop that in its tracks today. As certainly as my friend Stephen did. By just admitting to God, not to us, but to God, I need you. I receive the gift that you've given of peace with God. Well, he didn't just come to give us peace with God, but he also gives us, present tense, continuous, moving forward. Jesus came to give us the peace of God, whatever our circumstances. Jesus' arrival was only the beginning of God's peace coming to our lives. He's about to go to the cross. He's just hours away from it. He's meeting with some of his closest followers, and he shares these intimate words of comfort with them. They were about to experience the worst day of their life. Words he shared with them that promise that being, words that would bring comfort and would bring peace to their own souls, even in the storms of life. And especially on this, what was going to be their worst day. These are Jesus' words from John 14, verses 26 and 27. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I've told you. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of heart and mind. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Those are some good words. Jesus is saying here that his peace extends to our heart and our mind, mentally, our thoughts, and our emotions, the seat of our heart. And he's letting them know that his peace extends to that. Where does this calm come from? 
This calm comes from this fact, which he is reinforcing for them. We are not alone. God has not abandoned us, nor will he ever abandon us. Regardless of our circumstances, on our worst day, on our most difficult moment, in our biggest failure, God is present. Because this is the truth about the peace of God. The peace of God is not the absence of trouble. The peace of God is the certainty of his presence. And if you take nothing else but that with you today, it will help you through your own storms. And that's what Jesus was trying to tell his disciples before he left them. They were all sad. He knew they were sad, and he understood that. But he understood also that he was going to be with them, and he wasn't going to leave them alone. And this assurance and comfort that he was giving to them, even the name that Jesus was given at birth, is a reminder to us of this. Emmanuel, God with us. And Jesus' final parting words before he ascended to his Father in heaven, Surely I am with you always, even to the end of the ages. Now, in case Jesus' words aren't enough, I want to just mention, Paul talks to us about how to access that peace of God, present tense and moving forward really well. And I think Paul's a really good guide that God used to share these words. This is why, because he had a lot of bad days by most people's standards. He went through a lot of difficult circumstances. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He was stoned. He was thrown in jail multiple times. He spent a lot of his life in prison once he came to know Jesus, which those two don't go together for some. But that's, that's Paul. And he's the one God chose to give these words to for us to remind us that we have 24-7 access to God's peace. Here's what it says, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. We've read these so much in the last two months as we prepared for the election. But it's much bigger than the election or any other single piece of our lives. Here's what Paul said. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's talk about that for a minute because sometimes we make the peace of God harder than it has to be. The word for anxious in this passage, it's not the word that's typically used. Instead, it's this word that literally means to be torn in pieces, to tear up something. Have you ever had something that you described as it's really eating at me? Maybe I'm the only one who grew up with that phrase being shared in our home. That's really eating at me. It's that kind of thing. It's what's tearing you up. Because here's the promise that Paul is making to us here. The solution for our worry and anxiety. It's not to try to get rid of the negative thoughts. Maybe you've tried that. How does that work? Don't think that thought. Have you ever said that to yourself? I will not think that negative thought. I will think about this. And what do you do? You think about it. Yeah. And there's a whole movement within Christendom that says that this is the key to God's peace, that you stop talking about the negative and you only confess the positive. But that's not really a biblical idea because here's the truth. Your trouble may be as bad as you think it is. You see, your negative thoughts may be you facing reality. 
Abraham described it this way, or it's described for us in Romans 4 this way. You can read about it later. Abraham, the guy who was going to have a baby in old age, here's what it said. He said, he faced the facts that he and Sarah were getting as old as the hills, too old to have a baby, and that Sarah was barren, but he didn't waver in the promise of God. He faced the facts. I've always taken great heart in that. You can face the facts because the facts are your friends. But that doesn't change the peace of God. Why? Because the peace of God is not the absence of negative facts. The peace of God is the certainty of his presence in our lives. That, that, my friends, will give you peace. The truth is then, if we look at Paul's words here, and we unpack that second word, that the peace of God will guard our hearts and minds. That word guard was... Calling out, it was a military term. It was calling out a bunch of soldiers to protect a city from invasion. And what it's really saying is that when we tell God about what's bugging us, about what's tearing us up, that we will have an army of help from God that will keep a protective wall around our thoughts and will keep out invading thoughts. The what ifs of life is what I call them because that is where a lot of the enemy's power rests, is in the what-ifs. What if this happens? So when we think about that, he says that when you have that kind of peace, it's a peace that transcends our understanding. All he's saying is it's beyond reason, and it doesn't match up with your circumstances. It's, it's better than your circumstances would dictate by all means. And here's the bottom line to that whole passage. That the peace of God is as close to you as a conversation with him. It's a conversation away with Jesus, the Prince of Peace. So I'm a fifth grader. I'm sitting in our car with five siblings and my mom. And we're on some logging road up on the mountains outside of our town. We're all bundled up. We're going to spend the night in the car to avoid my dad's drunken anger. Sounds kind of scary, doesn't it? Not, not a fun story to even bring up around Christmas. But here's the deal. In the midst of that chaotic night, something very special happened for me. It wasn't the first time I'd been in that situation, and it wasn't the last time I was in that situation. But this one was different. You see, a couple months before, I had made peace with God. I'd been introduced to Jesus Christ and given my life to him. Now, I didn't know Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Here's what I knew. I knew a song that my church had taught me. It was called Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. And it goes like this, this first verse. What a fellowship, what a joy divine, leaning on the everlasting arms. I, what a blessedness, what a peace is mine, leaning on the everlasting arms. Leaning on Jesus, leaning on Jesus, safe and secure from all alarm. Leaning on the everlasting arms. You see, that was my favorite song growing up. I loved it every time we sang that at church. Because that night in the car, I understood that I was not alone and I was not on my own. And that is a wonderful thing. 
And you see, the most troubled circumstances of your life can cement the truth of the peace of God in a way that nothing else can. And it gives you something to say thank you for that I got to have that experience. Because you see, that peace of God, that certainty of his presence, has not left me even in the middle of accidents, the end of my parents' marriage, the remarriage of my dad's part, a miscarriage, illnesses of family members and loved ones, death of parents, being fired for the first and only time in my life. And the circumstances that I went through because of my own poor choices, which are also in that mix. But in the middle of that, the Prince of Peace has always been present and available. He truly is a conversation away from his peace for you. Now that's my story, and I'm asking you to reflect on your story today. What is your mind and heart? What's tearing at your heart and mind today? What's the threat to your peace? You know, sometimes I don't even know. I just have that feeling of being kind of anxious about something, and I have to go ask Jesus about it. That's that conversation that you start. And sometimes I figure it out fast, and sometimes it takes me a few days. That's the honest truth. But one of the things I know in recognizing anxiety, worry, panic is this, that you find that your body and your mind are on edge, that your heart begins to pound and that your muscles start tensing up and you start to breathe faster. What's causing that? That's how you figure it out with them. Your stomach starts to churn and suddenly your mind's racing with thoughts. You're thinking about the what ifs, about whatever it is you were not sure of. So what is it that does that to you? Maybe it's a worrisome illness. Maybe it's a growing distance with your spouse. Maybe it's a child acting out. Maybe it's a job gone sour like a friend of mine shared with me a couple weeks ago. Maybe it's your cancer markers that jumped from 2 to 28 in a couple weeks' time and have the doctors worried. Maybe, maybe it's a neighbor with an escalating beef in the neighborhood. But today, the truth is the Prince of Peace is here. The authority on wholeness is here. And he's going to be with you when you walk out these doors today. And he's only a conversation away. And I want to encourage you, today you can give every anxious thought to him. So whether you need to make peace with God, which is simply saying yes to what he's done and receiving that gift of forgiveness once and for all, settling your guilt and shame forever, or whether it's the peace of God that you're needing. The band is going to come out. They're going to sing this amazing song. Now, I call this today's version of Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. It's called The Prince of Peace. Would you listen? And maybe in the middle of this, you're going to sit and reflect, and God's going to speak something to you.